I think we can score more. You know, we've proved that we can definitely score more than we did last game. Just kind of like playing with more force on the offense and, and kind of like we miss a couple of shots there and there. But at the same time, we, we also know that the potential that we had defensively in this playoff time, you know, there's times where you're not going to make shots. At the end of the day, you got to stop the opponent from scoring too. Back to Gordon again. They'll repost Vooch down against Siakam. Double team. Gasol, they tip it away and steal it. Boy, they are really playing Vooch well. Siakam to the other end. He'll jam it down. And just like that, the Raptors lead by 14 to tie their biggest lead. The team that's more mentally locked in and focused is usually the team that makes it to the finals and wins the NBA championship. Over to Kawhi for three. Look out, it's in. Wow. This is some kind of performance. Kawhi Leonard's got 37 on the night. That's his fourth three of the night. He's made 15 of 20 shots. 30-point Toronto lead. I would imagine they're extremely pissed off this morning. And I imagine they're going to be pissed off for the next 48 hours until the ball goes up. And that's playoff basketball. Around a Danny Green screen, far side. Met by Ross. Goes left, comes back right off. Glass and in. Siakam is shaking and baking and taking everyone to school here in Orlando. You've only been playing organized basketball for seven years. Are there times where it still seems new? <laughs> I didn't know that. I'm sorry. Go ahead, continue. To his amazement, uh, you, you've only been playing for seven years. Are there times the game still feels new? Yeah, of course. Kawhi Leonard taps it in to Kyle Lowry, who punches the ball into the floor, and the Toronto Raptors make it a great Friday on Good Friday with the 98-93 victory, a five-point win for Toronto. They bend, but they don't break. Um, this year has been a different year with the emergence of Pascal and how we were playing, and then we traded for Mark, and a lot of things kind of just flow that way. But at the end of the day, it's all about you know winning games. Kawhi Leonard sprinkling his stardust on the NBA postseason yet again. 34 points, his second 30-point game of this series. He was magnificent. And now the Raptors will head home with a chance to close out this series on Tuesday night. And we got a really good player that's going to get us baskets when we need them. And I think, you know, psychologically that has an impact on a game. What's going on? It's Donovan Bennett with the homie Tyler Ennis. This is Free Association, and this is a conversation about a basketball team that feels good in the playoffs. We haven't had a lot of those in this city. You saw the game last night, Tyler, and actually before we move forward, a lot of people are going to consume this podcast after Game 5, so we're really going to have a conversation about the Raps in totality, how they've played over the course of this series. But before we get there, Game 4 specifically and Kawhi, when he's in playoff mode, is there another player playing now that can get to the level that he's been playing at? That's tough. I think in the East, for sure, Kawhi Leonard is top of the line. I think um, the Raptors fans that talk about how all the games he missed and the load management stuff, I think the reason you pay him or you're attempting to pay him a max deal is for the playoffs and for him to do what he did in Game 4, and that's take over the game and basically be unstoppable and that's what that's the way he looked in game four been top of the line issue for raptors fans is he hasn't gotten to the line not for a lack of trying he is so big and is so strong that like Shaq and before or after him lebron it's tough to officiate him i just imagine because he just goes through contact that for everyone else would knock them to the floor right and as a ref, you know, if you're calling six, seven in a row fouls, this guy's going to the, 
the basket so hard and taking this contact, you literally can't call every foul. And, you know, after a while, there's going to be some plays that go on that the refs miss or, you know, decide not to call just because it gets repetitive after a while. If, if he's going to the basket and he's finishing through contact, you know, it's hard to call every foul. And I, and I hand it over to the refs because they, they do have such a hard job. But, you know, as a player, if you're going to the basket every time you get hit, you want that foul call. So I could see the, the frustration in players when they are frustrated with the ref and they do that. So I have a theory in terms of why he's not getting the calls in this series specifically, the way Raptors fans saw DeMar DeRozan routinely get to the line in the past. One, we mentioned the physicality. The other is, I don't think he is vocal enough. And it's not his nature. You know, as a player, when you go to the line and you get hit, some of it is performance art, right? Mm-hmm. Ah! <laughs> right, that scream or and one, right? Yeah. You're letting everybody know, but specifically the refs, that you got hit. You exaggerate this guttural noise right. while taking a shot just to make sure that you get the call. That's during the action. And then there's a reaction. If you don't get a call, if you're Draymond, if you're Harden, if you're Chris Paul, you're letting that ref Talking know the ref, yeah. all the way down the court. Kawhi does neither of those things. Right. So in the moment, the ref's eyes aren't drawn to Kawhi because he's screaming, asking for a foul, and Kawhi's not screaming after the fact. So human nature, the ref might give him a call later to try and denounce the fact that Kawhi or whatever player thinks that that ref is being biased or is just blatantly missing calls. I feel like he's not playing the game to get to the line just because that's not who he is as a dude. Right, and it is a game. I think you know you see guys complain to the ref basically all game. Guys, LeBron. James Harden, guys that are, are are getting fouled, but you know they want every call. And I think that's half the battle because you see if Kawhi says something and Draymond says something, I think Kawhi's quicker to get attacked because the refs are used to Draymond yelling at them for, for 48 minutes a game and, and saying basically whatever he wants because you can't give this guy a tech every time he says something bad to the ref. Whereas Kawhi never says anything to the ref. When he does get to the boiling point and, and say something, I think it's quicker to get a risk. So I think we talked about... Uh, was it Drew Holiday or somebody this year that did the same thing? So I think as a, a superstar, especially, I think you're better off complaining to the refs whenever you think you get a foul call just because it ends up working out in your favor. When did that start for you in terms of in the shooting motion, you're making a noise to draw attention? Was that high school when you went to the States where you were in the NCAA? When did that become part of the game at, at an elite level? No, it starts high school just because for me, I... I was one of the, the better players in the country in high school and I thought I was able to talk to the refs. And as you go up, you get to college and, you know, some coaches say don't don't talk to the refs at all. We coaches are yelling at the refs more than, than we are at Syracuse. <laughs> um yeah, and then you get to the league and as a rookie, you know, that's what a veteran told me at once. It's like, all right, you gotta start fouling from now and, and hacking just because if they know you're a aggressive defensive player, then they're not gonna call every foul on you. And if you're yelling at the refs as a rookie, you're going to get a text. So you got to earn those stripes first. So, you know, when I got into the league, I, I wouldn't say anything to the refs, like nothing. You know, even if it's a terrible call, I wouldn't even go talk to them. And as I got older, I realized every team will put, you know, the refs name, bio, school, his kids' names, like everything about these refs on the wall, just so that you know them personally. And the teams think if I know Donovan personally and I talk to you every game and ask, how's your kids? And, and have that relationship, it's going to benefit you you know, in the long run. So I kind of learned how to play that game in a sense. But I, I don't think unless you're James Harden, LeBron, you're going to get those calls you know, that they get. 
It's that deep, a eh? bio it's and serious. kids' name in school. It's serious. We actually we had a guy um, on my team in Milwaukee that went to the same high school as one of the refs, and he was like, "Oh, I didn't know that." And then you know, before the game, you see him chatting it up. And I actually had a ref um, that refed one of my high school games, and he told me. Obviously, I, I didn't remember him, and he told me. So of course, I'm <laughs> every time I see him, I'm making it seem like we're we're both come from the same part of high school basketball. So. You know, it's deep. Obviously, if you could, you know, the games are, are won and lost, you know, with one point, two points. And if you get a foul call from talking to this guy for the whole season that you wouldn't have got, if you, you didn't have that relationship, then it's a win. I don't know if uh, the information should get out to the Raptors fans about <laughs> Tony Brothers' personal information, because every fan base has that one ref where... The officials get listed pregame on Twitter, and every fan base is like, oh, here we go. Right? Right, they have yeah. that one. I feel like the Raptors fans have a couple, but specifically, I think it's Mr. Brothers in the postseason. Kawhi, and we mentioned his play, he's averaging around 28 points and shooting around 53% in this series. Game one, 10 of 18, 25 points. Played just 33 minutes, which was a huge talking point. Game two, again, 33 minutes. That's because the game was in control. 15 to 22, 37 points. Game three on the road was a bit of an outlier because he was sick. Still played 37 minutes, though, and was just five for 19. It was 16 points. Luckily, Pascal saved the day in that game. And then last night, I think it was the best game of the series and probably his best game of the year. 35 points, 12 of 20 from the floor, and 34 points in 35 minutes. To me... The only number that I would like to see increased is the minutes. Mm. Uh, to me, I'm playing you 38, 39, 40, 41, and I'm hoping that maybe we're, we've got a comfortable lead so that we're resting you in the fourth quarter, or if anything, we're resting you because we took care of business and the series ends earlier, and we've got you know a few days, yeah. a few days, maybe even a week in between series, depending on what happens uh, on the other side of the bracket. Can you really rev up the minutes for a star when Kawhi averaged throughout the regular season 34 minutes and that was with load management? He obviously doesn't have the load management in the playoffs. I think as players, you expect that. You know, you expect if you're playing the Raptors, you're going to see Kawhi for 40 plus minutes. You're going to see Pascal. You're going to see their their best players, you know, more minutes in the playoffs just because you hear how rotations shorten up in the playoffs. And, and basically you have at least a day in between every game. So you're able to rest a little bit more. Whereas during the regular season, you know, you don't want to play your star player 48 minutes and then have a back-to-back and have to play him 48 again just because, you know, that's why we see so much injury. So I think the load management, even though he's not sitting out, I think they're paying attention to how much he plays just because he was on load management next session, you know, basically for 82 games. So it's tough to play him the whole game. You know, you want him to be fresh, but you're also playing the Magic, who you did lose to, but, you know, for the past two games, you've, you know, dominated them. And I don't think you need him out there every minute, you know, of the game. And I think if you could get him a rest or make him play a, a fewer minutes, you know, even if it's five fewer minutes a game, I think that's a win for the Raptors. Just because I don't think you need Kawhi out there every minute. Whereas as you get to play the Bostons and the, the better teams in the East and maybe, you know, in the finals, you're going to need him out there every, every second of the game, you know, until he asks for a sub, basically. Obviously, it's the physical. You want him on the court, dictating things, dominating. I think the big value is psychologically, and here's what I mean by this. I don't know if you saw the clip. It was in the finals when the Heat were facing the Spurs, Kawhi, scarting LeBron exclusively, and, and that was the year 
Kawhi was, was finals MVP. Late in the game, Kawhi came to the scores table and LeBron was at the line. Shoots the first free throw, looks behind him to dap up his dudes and sees that Kawhi is checking in the game. And he like mouths, oh, expletive. Yeah. <laughs> Almost like, oh, this, I got this guy again. Right. I just had a break. And I think as a player, the best player on the other team who he'll be guarding for the most point, it's tough. I have to deal with this guy who's like an alien for X amount of minutes. <laughs> and then in terms of, of the opposing coaching staff, if I know that there's going to be eight minutes, 10 minutes, 12 minutes without Kawhi on the floor, whatever lineup I put out there better win. Right. Yeah, you, better be, you can't break even. You better be plus four, plus six, plus 10 because chances are he's such a great player. I'm not going to win the minutes when he's in there, when he's on the right. floor. So, the fewer minutes that he's off, it puts that extra emphasis on that other team. And I'm not saying, obviously, he should play 48 minutes like you know LeBron has in the playoffs at times. But I would love to see them be a little bit more strategic with his rest. Because rest is rest. Get him out at the first timeout before the end of the quarter. So he gets that commercial break, some rest, then the commercial break in between quarters. Mm -hmm. So he's actually sitting for maybe 20, 25 minutes. But in terms of game time, he's missed maybe five or six. Mm -hmm. Be a little bit more strategic with his rest because the impact that he has on the floor is so much greater than just having him in the rotation with the other guys. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think that's another point of people complain that these guys make so much money, the max players, but... If you're a coach on the opposing team and you're basing your game plan around those whatever 12 minutes that Kawhi sits out, I think that is taken away from what you can do to exploit the Raptors. And I think that's why a player like Kawhi is going to make whatever, 30, 35, 40 million a year because, you know, him on the floor is the, the other coaches psychologically like, okay, we're, you know, we're, we're not as good. And then once he subs out is, is when you make the run. And he's not even remembering he has a, a team full of NBA players too. And you know, I think uh, that's another reason why these guys, you know, the superstars deserve so much money. And as fans, I think people complain about it and complain about the the Chris Paul making whatever he's going to be 35 years old, making 40 million a year. But, you know, having a Chris Paul out there, whether he's effective or not, is a game changer. And that's what I talked about with Kyle the whole year. As long as he's out there and he's not playing like he did in game one where, you know, he's old for whatever, if he's playing decent, basketball I think he's a plus for the Raptors even if he's not dominating the game talk about the value those stars have Kevin Durant answered a question earlier in the week brilliantly about how he impacts things on the offensive end without even taking a shot and he talked about the fact when everyone was upset that he was being guarded by Patrick Beverly who he has 11 inches on Mm -hmm. and he only took 8 shots in the game and he basically said well, we had a nice flow of the game. You know, let's, let's go back to the whole last month of the season. We've been playing this way for a while. And when we got to this series, um, you know, game one, we had some nice momentum. They're playing a gimmick defense, which has been working, top blocking everything on the perimeter. So guys not even looking at the three-point line. They're just forcing guys inside the three-point line. So for us, when I get the ball in my spots, you know, I got a pest, Patrick Beverly, who was up underneath me. Well, I could definitely shoot over top and score every time if it's a one-on-one situation. But we got a guy that's dropping and helping, and then we got another guy that's just sitting on me waiting, waiting for me to dribble the basketball. If I put the basketball on the floor, I can, you know, I could probably make 43% of my shots if I shoot them like that. But that's not really going to do nothing for us at uh, with the outcome of the game, you know, because we got a nice flow, everybody touching the rock. 
everybody's shooting and scoring. So I'm not gonna let, I'm not gonna get in the way of the game because you know I want to have a little back and forth with Patrick Beverly. I'm Kevin Durant. You know who I am. Y'all know who I am. Is there a time in your career you can remember a defense maybe in a playing series playing you this way? Yeah, for sure. I've been playing against every defense. It's not just the that type, you know, but the constant help on my drives, the poking at the ball as I'm dribbling, the, you know, two guys rushing me as I'm beating somebody off the dribble. You know, and that's how I learned how to pass the ball and kind of be patient, a little bit more patient before the catch, you know. So, you know, I gotta, you know, I gotta set up shop sometimes, you know, and, and clear out space so I can get my stuff going. But in this series, it's kind of weird because, you know, uh, when the guy is that small, you know, you got the advantage. Um, but, you know, the refs see, you know, we, we listen, we hear David and Goliath a lot growing up, you know, so that story is pretty, pretty much prominent in people's minds. So when you put that out there on the court against me, then the refs gonna give him a little bit more. So when he run up on me like a pit bull, grab me, hold me, I don't mind it. That's how he make his money. That's how he feed his family. But if I throw something back, then let us play. You get what I'm saying? So I got four or five offensive fouls like that. I'm just trying to figure out, you know, uh, each possession, how I can be more effective without getting offensive fouls. At any given time, a star player is not guarded by one guy. He's guarded by the entire concept of the defense, right. which helps everybody else out if you're playing within that offense and not forcing shots. And that's a thing really that if we're comparing Kawhi from regular season to postseason, he's done so well. It's not necessarily force his shots. Again, his field goal attempts are all around the 20 mark, but he's getting other guys involved when they play through him offensively. Right, and... It's funny you Patrick Beverly just because he's an example of a guy who essentially fouls every player that he's out there. <laughs> and, you know, you can't call every foul on him. And, and when you do, he's going to be yelling at you and making a scene. So after a while, these refs, are, you know, whatever, you know, we'll let that one go. You know, they'll call the blatant ones or the obvious fouls. But, you know, I think it's, it is tough because, you know, when you have a superstar, if, if you're the Orlando Magic and you're playing the Raptors, you have Kawhi, but you also have Pascal now. So you're preparing for a top five player and and where you have to help and where we're doubling from and everything like that but then you also forget that they have a, a all-star point guard sitting out there waiting to have open shot you have pascal who's you know playing the best basketball of his career you have danny green and then at the five whoever mark or ibaka and you know essentially you, you pick your poison i think danny green was talking about it you have you, you have no choice you have to double Kawhi, and then you know, from there, you're just going to have to hope Kyle Lowry's missing all his shots or, or these guys aren't going to make shots just because they have such a deep team and at any given point, they could have five weapons out there. And unless you have five weapons to go at them, if you're Golden State or or Houston that could just outscore everybody, it's going to be tough to really beat the Raptors unless they beat themselves. Charles Barkley had a great quote from Greg Popovich recanting about the leap that Kawhi took as a star. And he said, he made the jump when he understood that when we call a play for Kawhi Leonard, it's not for Kawhi Leonard to score. It's for the San Antonio Spurs to score. In a sense that calling a play for you is just an action mm -hmm. to get the ball in your hands for you to make the right decision depending on what the matchup is and what the defense does. And we've seen that in Kawhi. Who he really helps is the bench. And before we take the break, I want to get your appraisal on the bench because I think the bench he's playing better because less guys on the bench are playing mm -hmm. and more of those guys are playing with starters game one the bench had 26 points game two 24 game three 18 game four 38 and that bench in game four when the minutes mattered was exclusively 
Fred VanVleet as a guard, Norm Powell as a wing, and Serge Ibaka as a big. All those guys played, and they played with starters. I know that historically the Raptors played up the bench mob and the depth. We love to talk about the Warriors and strength in numbers. I think their bench is better when they're playing fewer guys and they're propped up by the stars who are the starters. Can they get away with playing a tight-knit eight-man rotation? I think so. I think a lot of teams, like just even watching the Nuggets, they have, I would say, 11 guys that they could you know, substitute in and out of the rotation. But in the playoffs, you have the rest and you're playing the same team up to seven times. So you need your best players out there that are able to make adjustments. And as the Raptors, you want to have your starting five out there as much as you can, but then you need a few guys to give them rest or if there's an injury or foul trouble. And I think the Raptors with that eight is a a really tough eight, whether they can play two guards, two bigs, they could change it up however they want. But I think with OG going out, OG being their draft pick and their young guy, they don't have to play him. And they don't have to to find minutes for him. Whereas if he was healthy and he was playing, he's your first round pick. If he's not playing, then it makes it makes it look bad. And if he was there, I think they'd be searching for minutes for him where they could play him. And him being hurt essentially becomes a positive, just because you know it, it gives Nick Nurse one less thing to do. Not that he wouldn't help the Raptors, and you know in the long run, I just think not having him in clothes and having to find minutes for him is a plus because you know Norman Powell isn't looking over his shoulder; he's able to play freely. Fred's able to play freely, but you have Jeremy Lin if something happens. And then, you know, Serge has essentially started the whole year. And I don't think he's out of rhythm. He's not playing as much minutes. But if they come to a matchup where he has to start, I think the I think he'll be ready just because he's comfortable and has that chemistry with the team. Hey, you mentioned Norm. We had big game James Worthy through Toronto uh, on the weekend. We might need to call Norm big game Norm Powell because he plays much better in the playoffs than he does in the regular season. 16.79 from the floor, four rebounds. In game four, Abaka chipped in with 13 points, five of six from the floor, and eight rebounds. The bench outscored Orlando 38 to 22. I think they're so much better when they're playing less guys. And to your point, without OG, all of the four minutes are going to Pascal Siakam mm-hmm. or Kawhi Leonard playing yep. up and guarding Aaron Gordon and doing a real good job on him. And they've done a good job defensively altogether, keeping Orlando. In and around 90 points the last three games. They gave up 104 in the first game, but then game two, 82 points, game three, 93, and then game four, 85 points. The great thing about this series is I think it's been a little training camp for them against a good opponent to have some things that fundamentally they can lean on against a team that is similar in the Sixers, but just the top end talent is better. Embiid is a better version of Vucevic. Tobias Harris is a better version of, uh, T. Ross. And that's, I think, what will benefit them moving forward. Their defense has been elite. I'm not sure if I can defend the actions of a media member and an athlete talking to the media. Since you are now a member of the media and are still an athlete, I'm going to have you help me work through it. We head out west and talk about Russell Westbrook and his beef with Barry Tamil next on Free Association. I get this question all the time in person on Twitter. Where do I go to live stream sports in Canada, whether it's NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, Sportsnet now is the product for you. It's available to anyone over the internet. 
Sportsnet Now gives you 24-7 access to Sportsnet's channels, including content not even available on TV. So you can stream it on the go or at home from your big screen or from your phone, any device that you like, whether it's Apple TV, Xbox, Chromecast. Get all the games, all the NHL playoff matchups you need right in one place. Want to track how you're doing in the fantasy pool? You got to get Sportsnet Now. Did I tell you you get over 500 NHL games, the MLB postseason, the entire World Series, Premier League, and much more? All the games you need to see, all in one place. Visit snnow.ca for more details. Don't be a fool. Get it done. Yeah, Barry Trammell with the Oklahoman. Uh, Russell, you've played against Dennis before since he since he left you, but could you tell he had a little extra in his step tonight trying to uh, play against his old pals? Next question. Russ, did you think uh, getting down 38-21, 17-point deficit to come back and, and make it a game down the stretch, is that a good sign for the rest of the playoffs? Next question. Barry Trammell with the Oklahoma and Russell, the first half both teams struggled offensively as a, sort of a slug of a game. Both teams got going in the second half. What happened that sort of reversed the, reversed the, uh, the tone of this game? Next question. Yeah, Barry Trammell with the Oklahoma and Russ, you guys were up 10 midway through the second quarter. Things sort of went downhill the rest of the game. What, what happened in the first quarter and a half that, that you didn't get around to doing in the last two and a half quarters? Next question. So next question is Russell Westbrook's favorite phrase, his favorite response <laughs> when asked questions. And I get how monotonous it would be to talk to guys pregame, talk to guys postgame, talk to guys after shoot around, in between games. And I'm going to say it, the vast majority of our questions suck. So dumb. I'm constantly watching saying, what is the potential good answer to that question? Why did you ask that question? The whole, well, do you think you guys can come back from 3-1 down? What am I supposed to say? No. Right. You know, actually, you know what? It's funny. I was just on Expedia. I already booked my trip to Cancun. Like, we asked so many questions where there is either not an answer or there isn't a good answer. Having said that, part of the reason why Westbrook is making millions is because of the way the game is covered, how big it is, that people for some reason, want to consume these terrible answers. And so I do think that his duty is not just to put up triple doubles on the court, but to help the media do their job. He's been combative with the media in general for a long time, but Barry Trammell specifically, he's gone out of his way not to answer any of his questions. He said basically next question to every question, except now he switched up and he said, Oh, uh, it's a good question. Um, not sure. With this basically annoyed look on his face. Trammell continues to ask him questions knowing that he's not going to get a good answer and really he's wasting everybody's time, but he's stunting and asking his best questions right. for Westbrook, <laughs> showing him that I, I've been about this business and I've done my research. The whole thing is kind of awkward. It, it, have you been in a situation where there was a guy on your team who had a beef with someone in the media? Yeah, it happens a lot, actually. I think it's a, a difference in if I don't like a media member, I could tell my family, my friends, teammates, whatever, but it's different to go out and publicly, especially during the playoffs when everybody's watching, to publicly like, okay, I don't like you, and I'm going to show everybody I don't like you. So 
I've had personally situations on two teams I've been on where it, it's one thing if it's stat based and it's, you know, he's not shooting good from the three point line, whatever it is. And this is why I think whatever Westbrook should play less minutes or whatever the article or the, the, you know, news story is about. I think the problem comes when it's personal and it feels personal. And I've had situations where, you know, people talk bad about me or whatever, bring stats and I'm fine with it just because essentially it's people's opinions. It's if you're a beat writer, if you're a, a reporter, it ends up being your opinion of my game or of the team or whatever it is. But when it becomes personal is I think when players go to that level that Westbrook's at now. And I've had, you know, whether it's Twitter or social media, as much as players say they stay off it, unless you're off of it, like Kawhi Leonard or you don't have it, you're going to see these things, whether it's an article or the team, people commenting on your pictures or whatever it is, you see it as a player. So my thing was in LA specifically, obviously there's a ton of people that cover the Lakers, but there was people who would take shots as people's families, like personal stuff. And I think as a player, it's annoying if you take shots at my game and I know personally, whatever, you don't like my game, you don't like me. But I think when there's somebody that's a part of the media that goes to the practice facility and asks these questions on an everyday basis and then goes on social media and says it, I think that's where players, and I don't know the Westbrook situation, but I'm speaking personally, that's where I think I would take it to the Westbrook level where it's like, I publicly will tell people I don't like you and I'm going to make it hard for you to do your job. So I, I don't know. I think Westbrook's angry at everybody essentially, but I think something personal must have happened in Westbrook's eyes for him to go to this level. And I didn't know who he was before you mentioned his name. And I think that'll end up helping him in the long run because he's essentially doing his job, but it's tough with the social media era. Plus all the coverage on the game. And when you're in the moment and in the season, you don't realize the coverage of all these media members is half the reason why, you know, Westbrook is who he is, you know, the, the interviews and the, them covering you when you're walking in the arena. So, as a player, I'm thinking I'm making this money because of what I'm doing on the court. You know, you're not necessarily thinking that this media member asking you a question could reach out to whatever, thousands of more fans. So it's tough. I think it's when it's personal is when players take it to that level. Yeah. You think naturally, oh, I'm making this money because of all the shots that I got up. Right. Like Barry Trammell wasn't with me when I was shooting in the gym. So I don't necessarily need him, but part of that money went up when that TV deal went up mm -hmm. recently. The cap went up. The basketball-related income went up. The interesting thing for me is Westbrook's a really smart, really articulate guy when he wants to be. But he takes the anger that he has on the court and keeps it with him post-game. He literally looks at the Thunder as his gang. <laughs> and like, if you got an issue with anyone on my gang, then like I, you're wearing opposite gang colors and we have beef and I don't want you near my turf. Barry Trammell has written about it. He's done press and interviews about it. It's content now for him. And he claims he doesn't know where the beef started or why it's got to this level. The big press conference for me was a couple years ago in the playoffs when he was asking Steven Adams about... Steven, second time in three games, uh, you guys really struggled when Russell went to the bench. You were out there for part of that. What goes on when he goes to the bench? Why is Houston so successful? And, and do you sense that, that they sort of get an energy boost just from him going out of the game? Hold on, Steven. Russ, again, looking at his team like a gang, said, you're not splitting us up. I don't want nobody to try to split us up. We all one team. 
regardless if I go to the bench, if Steven's on the floor, if I'm off the floor, we in this together. Don't split us up. Don't try to split us up. Don't try to make us go against each other. Try to make against Russell and the rest of the guys, Russell against Houston. I don't, I don't want to hear that. We in this together. We playing as a team, and that's all that matters. That's it. And yeah. even though the question wasn't addressed to Russ, Russ is like, no, we're not answering it. And then Stephen Adams, what's he going to do? Answer yeah, the question? At that point, he's saying, well, I'm not answering it. And here's where I think Oklahoma City PR dropped the ball is they backed Russ and were like, next question. That may be, Russell, but I asked Stephen a question. And it's a legitimate question. Next question. It's a legitimate question. Next question. And Barry Trammell was incensed that Westbrook was basically taking over the press conference and deciding what was going to be answered or not answered. And that impacted the way he did his job. No, I think we'll keep the microphone. I had a question for Steve. I had a question for Stephen, and it wasn't answered. And I don't understand. If Stephen wants to say he still hasn't said anything, if he wants to say I don't want to answer that, fine. But Next question, please. Now we're at a place where nobody wants to back down. Uh, Trammell's still asking questions because he doesn't want to look like he's a sucker. Westbrook certainly is not going to back down because he likes confrontation. And here's where we are. And I just don't think it's a good look for Westbrook because we're not talking about his game. Mm. We're talking about the way he treats media. media. And I think he's actually a good dude. But I don't know if someone was critiquing every podcast that I did, every article that I wrote. I don't know if I wouldn't feel some type of way either. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, even though I am should be pro-media and team media, I do empathetically understand why guys get upset, even though I don't think it's the right course of action. You mentioned your mentions. What are the mentions of an athlete like? Like, do you consume any of it, or is it just white noise because you're just getting notification after notification? It depends. Obviously, playing for the Lakers, there's just like a... As much as everyone says it, there is a different level of media coverage. And so any given day, if I play good, bad, you're going to have hundreds, sometimes thousands of people saying stuff. So you could have a thousand messages. There'll be three people that say some crazy stuff and you're going to remember those three as opposed to the you know, other hundreds of people that, that say stuff. But when it's a fan, it's one thing, guys reply. But I've kind of gotten to the point where it's like, when I was in Houston, actually, a perfect example was I was talking to Ryan Anderson about there'd be games I, I wouldn't even play in Houston and I'd get people talking about me and, and and I'm like, okay, how does that work? And he's like, no, I get it too. And he was starting four at that time and he's like, James averages 30 points a game and he gets fans talking about flopping. And so at any point in your career, whether you're playing, not playing, MVP, LeBron, you're going to have people saying stuff and you got to kind of mature to the point where it's like, you know what, I had 10 people reach out to me. Nine of them was positive. The one that's negative I'm not going to reply to the one negative. And that's what we do as people because it, it seems personal. I remember playing video games and you're playing with someone and you're like, damn, this guy sucks. He missed a shot and we're playing 2K. And you don't realize that the fans are purely taking in basketball. You know, they're, they're watching your game and you missed a game winning shot and that's why they're saying this. They're angry. And you're just taking that personal. Like, I'm mad I missed a shot. I go on Twitter. I'm with my family at dinner and I see people talking. I'm I'm already at that point. I'm angry. So I'm going to respond and whatever. So it depends, but it, you know, whether it's you're playing bad, you're going to get the bad ones. People turn off their Twitter and Instagram and, you know, you're playing great. (laughs) You turn it back on and you see everyone, you know, praising you. So you got to take the good with the bad essentially. And I've heard LeBron say a bunch of times, like, oh, I don't read my mention. I don't read my comments. And I don't think he's lying because he probably has 50,000 comments on any given picture. But, you know, someone like even my scale, I don't read every one of my comments and it's 
it's true. The one negative one that you get, it's like, you know, that's the one that bothers you, but you don't see the kids like, oh, you're my favorite player and, and whatever else. You got to take the good with the bad, essentially. I get why LeBron would go when he was in the playoffs. His zero dark 23 right. mode right. and take off social media off of his phone because there's that ideal that an athlete to be at peak performance, they have to be in a state of flow. Yep. So that literally no distractions, their entire body is solely focused at a task at hand. And even some of the distractions that you may not even be cognizant of can seep into the recesses right. of your brain. So if you see a comment talking about the fact that you miss clutch free throws, you may not even be aware that they might impact you right, next sure. time you're on the line, which is why, again, I don't even understand how you would scroll through your mentions because it's people referencing one, the hockey player and not you. <laughs> right. <laughs> Two, referencing your game and like, oh, you know, I want him on this team or that team or uh, how you played or who's going to be on the next team Canada. There are so many times where people are mentioning you, mm -hmm. not even really taking in that you're going to see it. Right. They're they just don't communicating think so. yeah, they don't think you're with your name. It. Right. Like, what's your thumb like? <laughs> when you when you open up your phone, like, how do you decide how long I'm going to scroll through this stuff? I mean, I enjoy Instagram because it's pictures. You can see family members and stuff. But Twitter for me is basically like information. So I get most of my information, whether it's the NBA or stocks or whatever it is. Essentially, I get it from scrolling through Twitter and I can get everything at once. I get the sports. I get people's personal life. This person had a baby. This person, whatever it is. And so I do remember actually as we were talking um, in in college, I did delete Twitter. Like for my first game, I played bad and I had everything and I said, I'm going to delete it. So I deleted it and that actually helped. And I ended up getting back on social media just because there's obviously money and a bunch of stuff involved being a professional athlete. Got that influencer um, money. Yeah, you have to. Uh, I remember Oladipo talking about, it, I think on LeBron show, he just signed an extension for like 60, 80 million, whatever he signed for. And he was saying, you know, okay, see, he got such heat from the fans. He would turn the ball over and in the game think, like, oh, I wonder if they're going to they're gonna write about me. They're going to, and he's at the level where he got signed a $60 million extension. So now think about the guy from whatever, the guy that just signed from overseas or whatever that has fans and media and, and everybody going at him and doesn't have that assurance. Like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be here for the next four or five years because I signed an extension. A guy that's on his rookie deal trying to make it. And he, you know what I'm saying? So it's just a, I think at any level you go to, you're still going to experience that fan and media influence, whether it's good or bad. I was on a social media panel not that long ago. And I said, I think dealing with social media and the media in general is the biggest issue for sports organizations, sports athletes of our time. And when people want to compare LeBron and Jordan, who's greater Part of the reason why it's tough to compare eras and compare them specifically is because they're dealing with people and fans differently. Nobody was tweeting about MJ going to casinos in between playoff series. Right. I knew LeBron was at EFS because I saw it while it was happening. <laughs> and and I, I think that level of scrutiny changes the way we should see our athletes. Adam Silver recently on a panel talked about the fact that he's worried about the mental health of players because... If you look at a team bus, everyone's in their phone. Right. Everyone has headphones on. They're not connecting with their teammates. They're connecting with a bunch of strangers 
through an app on their phone. And I do think that similar to the way teams had team shrinks and teams, you know, sports psychologists who would make, you know, the dig me tape and give you a you know, footage of you making a bunch of good plays so you could mentally see that and remember it. I think on the flip side, teams are going to need a dedicated coach just for you to deal with not just the media, but social media, because it impacts the way you guys interact with the game and with the fans. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think every team I've been on, we've had a sports psych or something or a doctor or a therapist or something, you know, of that nature. But, uh, you know, it is the social media that's the heart. You know, you, you deal with the personal side of the NBA and teams and, you know, whether you like your coach or not, but you're also dealing with the fan side where, you know, a lot of guys that are, are great with fans, they, you know, respond. And then there's a bunch of guys that are terrible. It's like a new part of a job, you know, like, you know, as NBA players 10, 20 years ago, you didn't have that. You didn't have to deal with that, you know, so it's hard to tell guys, you know, don't respond, don't do anything because we're essentially the first generation of a social media professional athletes that have fans at any given time, midnight, six in the morning and four fans are reaching out to you and seeing it. And the only way to get away from that is essentially turning off your phone, which is easier said than done. Well, listeners don't turn off your phone before subscribing, liking, favoriting this podcast and hit us up on Twitter. Tyler gets a million a day, so he may or may not see yours, but he is at Tyler Ennis. I'm at Donovan Bennett, uh, the producer who really is the brains and heart of the show. Emil Delich is at Amanda Delich. Hit us up. Let us know what you want to talk about, who you want us to talk to. This really is for you. This has been Free Association. Thanks for listening.